We come now to God's Word. In this, God speaks to His people. These are the words of life. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 63. Let's pray that as we read this, as we come as those who are weary in a dry and thirsty land, that we would find this oasis by the Spirit's work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word, and on our own strength, it's just words on a page. On our own strength, it doesn't speak to the challenges of life. And so we depend on your spirit. We need you to be with us. We need these words to come off the page and by your spirit to enter into our minds and into our hearts and into our hands that we might be changed by these words of life. We ask that you would, by the preaching and the hearing, be glorified in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear God's word from Psalm 63, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Thanks be to God. I know I'm not the only one here who enjoys a trip off the grid. My favorite place to escape, if you will, is a wilderness area in the mountains of North Carolina, not far from where I grew up. Back in the summer of 2015, I took another backpacking solo trip uh, to a different wilderness area on the other side of the country in California called the Desolation Wilderness. The name doesn't really match the beauty of the place. Mountains and lakes and in the middle of June, still snow-capped peaks that I had to hike through. But what makes it a wilderness? In, In my experience, in the times I've spent in the wilderness, what makes it a wilderness is the constant hum in the back of your mind that you're not quite sure you'll make it out alive. The constant question of where you'll get water next, if you'll have enough food, or whether you're on the right trail still. 
You wonder if your map is up to date. And you wonder if a wild animal is waiting around the next bend, bend to supply a main course for his dinner tonight. And yes, I realize that I just provided the list of reasons why many of you do not want to leave the comforts of the home in the city. But for me, the trip to the desolation wilderness was simultaneous with the wilderness of my soul. Just months earlier, my mom had died of cancer. A young, gentle, devoted, spirit-filled Christian woman whose life evidenced the fruit of the spirit at every turn. And she died a painful death to cancer. It didn't seem fair. Not to mention the personal loss I felt at 23 years old. To put it in light terms, I was in a spiritual wilderness as I hiked through the desolation wilderness, not sure whether I would make it out of either one alive. Psalm 63 helps us to see today that God is in the wilderness. And that his steadfast love is better than the very life that we question as we walk through the wilderness. His love is a surer foundation than the air we breathe. For David, the wilderness of Judah was a place of little water, minimal shade, and distance from civilization. For David, it was the place of hiding from his son Absalom, who was trying to kill him. David is in the wilderness of Judah, and as he physically thirsts for water, it's only a faint reminder to him of his deep spiritual thirst for God. Yes, his body aches, but at this moment, his soul aches more. The parallel between his physical and spiritual realities is striking. In verse 1, David cried out with a deep urgency and a humble dependence. And English doesn't capture what's going on as David cries out to God. These punctuated, painful, desperate cries that the Hebrew communicates. For David, that dire situation of his body without water or food is just that dim picture of the longings of his soul. But he finds that his situation is not dire because he is secure in his God. And as difficult as it is to survive in the wilderness, we find throughout Scripture the wilderness is actually a place of blessing. The wilderness is a place where faith grows, where God meets people in their need. Christopher Wadsworth says, Moses saw God in the wilderness, Exodus 3. Elijah saw God in the wilderness, 1 Kings 19. David saw God in the wilderness. The Christian church will see God in the wilderness, Revelation 12. Every devout soul which has loved to see God in his house will be refreshed by visions of God in the wilderness of solitude, sorrow, sickness, and death. If you're in a wilderness of solitude, sorrow, sickness, or death, Psalm 63 is your psalm. We're going to look at it, first of all, in in four parts. We'll look first at the fact that we need God in the wilderness. We need God in the wilderness. Second, we encounter God in the sanctuary. Third, we remember God in the watches of the night. And fourth, we rejoice in God at all times. We, re- we need God in the wilderness. We encounter God in the sanctuary. We remember God in the watches of the night and we rejoice in God at all times. Let's look at verse one. We need God in the wilderness. 
David might not have experienced the same kind of wilderness that you are in right now. I certainly haven't. But we can all channel our hearts through the same path of David's soul in these verses. He says that his soul thirsts for God. And then he says that his soul is satisfied by God. And then he says his soul clings to God. Your soul too, whatever wilderness you're in, needs this same pattern. Thirst for God. Be satisfied in God and cling to God. For you, this might be a wilderness of spiritual drought or of grief or loneliness or of long physical sickness or of unresolved relational distress or of financial insecurities that only seem to get worse. And I might not have listed your specific trial here, but it's helpful to note, actually, every single Christian lives in the wilderness. Israel wandered for 40 years in the wilderness after they were freed from Egypt before they entered the promised land. And by parallel, we too live in that wilderness now that we've been freed from slavery to sin. And before we reach reach the promised land, we too wander in this wilderness of life. Our Christian life is played out in the wilderness of temptation, of unease, of discomfort, of pain, of tears, and on and on. But it is the exact wilderness in which our faith grows. It's the exact wilderness where our faith blossoms, even into assurance of salvation, when everything else calls for you to question it. And it's precisely in the wilderness that God shows himself. It's precisely in the wilderness that God helps Precisely in the wilderness that the Spirit teaches us to release our grasp on the world and to cling forever onto Jesus. Remember, brothers and sisters, God is in the wilderness with you, beside you, near to you. David gives three vivid images of God in this wilderness. First of all, he's the water that satisfies your thirst. You know what it's like. Maybe with your your team to practice in a hot day and then to find that cold water. So satisfying. David also says that God is your food that fills you up with the richest, most exquisite food as you hunger in the wilderness. We all long for those moments where we can sit down with friends and eat and be filled and enjoy the food. David also says that God is the shade as he hides you in the shadow of his wings. God loves you, and his steadfast covenant commitment to you is better than life itself. And in the wilderness, you need only one thing. You need one thing in the wilderness. We think that we need to get out of the wilderness. We think that in order to get out, it it might mean getting revenge on the people who put us in the wilderness. Or we think that we need our plan to go according to our design, or we think we need to prove that we're strong. Or prove that we're right and then we'll get out of the wilderness. And we think that we need more comforts or we we need more money in our pocket. Or we need to prove ourselves to those who have hurt us. We think that we need healing from the disease. And we think we need deliverance from the doctor's visits. In short, we think we need to get out of the wilderness. But more than that, we need God in the wilderness. Thomas Brooks, an English preacher from the 1600s, says it this way. He says, David does not say my soul thirsts for water, but my soul thirsts for you. Nor does he say my soul thirsts for the blood of my enemies, but 
my soul thirsts for you. Nor does he say my soul thirsts for deliverance out of this dry and barren wilderness, but my soul thirsts for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Nor does he say my soul thirsts for a crown, a kingdom, but my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In your wilderness, you need God above all else. Be on the lookout for God's presence. Don't be so blinded by your pain that you miss his grace. Don't be so caught up in your situation that you miss your sovereign one. He has not abandoned your soul. He is with you in the valley of the shadow of death. He is the shade at your right hand. Let's learn from David how to find this confidence in our God in the wilderness, wilderness of both body and soul. We encounter God in the sanctuary. Part two. You say, but David's not in the sanctuary. You're right. He's in the wilderness. But he has a lasting impression, even in the wilderness, of when he was in that sanctuary. An impression that does not lose its power. David says in verse two, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. He remembers what he has seen about God. He knows who God is. And who he knows God to be in the sanctuary informs and defines who he knows God to be in the wilderness. The abundance of God's love that he pours out upon his people in the sanctuary is better than life. And therefore, when we are in the wilderness and life itself is in question, we hold fast to that same steadfast love that we encounter in God's house. Now, it's important to note that the sanctuary itself Church itself is not the blessing. The Christian's blessing in the wilderness does not come from from just getting yourself to the rituals. The rituals and the liturgies and the conversations with other believers and the songs in and of themselves are powerless. But we need the God that we access through these things. We need the God who shows himself to us. What was it that David encountered in the sanctuary that changed him? It wasn't the beauty of the gold on the temple. He says in verse 2, he says, I have looked upon you, beholding your power and glory. It is God, it is God himself that encourages David in this wilderness. This sounds a lot like the song of Moses as the Israelites had just been freed from slavery in Egypt, they sang a song in Exodus 15, and there are a lot of parallels here. The word, same word for power, Moses uses. The same word for steadfast love. And the same word for right hand. Moses had just seen the mighty hand of God free the nation of Israel from their oppressors, and he gives praise to God for his power, his strength in particular. And he praises God for doing so out of his steadfast love. And he writes this, It says, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. This God of power is Moses' God, and he is David's God, and he is your God, and he is my God, and we can sing with Moses. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. Where else? Do you get to look upon the power of God, the invisible God? 
and witness again and again his power and glory out of his steadfast love. Where else but in his house where he has promised to meet you, to draw near, to speak by his word, to give himself to you by the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. What a blessed place the sanctuary is. And David says, as he has seen the power and glory of God, it is that foundational, steadfast love that is the basis of it all. And that, David says in verse 3, is better than life. And it leads David to praise. Really? Better than life? Yes. And not just the life that you want to escape. If you take the best vision of the best life you can imagine on earthly terms, God's love is better than that one. The most enviable earthly life is nothing compared to God's steadfast love. One of those lives is temporary and fading and will rust. One of those is the foundation of eternal life. You know, God's steadfast love, that's his covenant relationship with his people, the unshakable foundation by which we are saved. It is the foundation by which God called his children before the foundation of the world, knew them before the foundation of the world. It's the love by which he created the world. It's the love by which he entered into covenant relationship with sinners to save them. It's the love that provides hope and that lasts beyond the grave. And if you want to see the clearest depiction of God's steadfast love, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, God himself, who became like you and me, who lived in this wilderness and quite literally was tempted in it. He looked like you and me, because he was the word who became flesh. Look at him. He died for you. He died for a sinner. He is the proof of God's steadfast, sturdy, glorious, eternal, unmovable, unending, unshakable, steadfast love. We can behold God's power and glory in Jesus' triumphant resurrection over our enemies as well. See his steadfast love offered to you in the gospel that we preach every single Sunday. See his covenant faithfulness to you in the Lord's Supper offered to you every week. In the bread and in the wine, you look upon Jesus' body and blood given for you and you get to take and eat and drink and feast and be filled and satisfied. This place, God's house, is an oasis in this wilderness. All week, we're like laborers in the sun. Thirsty, hungry, sun scorched. And God invites you, even calls you to come. Find water. Come and eat rich and fat food that satisfies, fills up abundantly, and nourishes the weary ones. This is better than life. Can you agree with that? Not just with your words, but with your heart and with your bones. God's steadfast love is better than this fading life. And now that we have encountered the glory of this God, how foolish do we have to be to neglect coming to this access of grace that we have in God? How foolish would we be to deny coming into God's sanctuary? If you're in a special wilderness right now, 
You know how thirsty and hungry you become. You know how much the world weighs you down and you know how much you need to be in this place where you are reminded of the only balm that heals the soul in the deepest places. And it's not just this building. It's not just a place called a church. It's because God is in this place and you need him above anything else. We are here with God. He is near. We feast with God here. His steadfast love is on display. Don't be the guest who only comes and eats a little because you don't want to offend the host. There is enough food here. Come back for seconds, thirds, and more. This is the feast of the richest, most satisfying foods, and there is no scarcity in God's house. He satisfies to great depths right here. You've come today. Don't leave the blessing untapped. Be filled. Be satisfied. Look upon Jesus. Look upon our Father now as He, by His Spirit, floods into your hearts with comfort and reminders of God's power and glory in Jesus Christ. Remember what God has done in your life and anticipate the supper that we are about to partake of, where we are richly blessed with the grace of God in our Savior Jesus. Okay, but let's fast forward to Thursday. How do these grand promises, these grand benefits, translate to where you are on Thursday? In the middle of a Thursday when things are really hard, when you've just received the news that your loved one has died, when you've just had that fight again, when you get turned down again, what do these things mean in a moment like that? Well, David tells us in verses six through eight, we remember God in the watches of the night. We remember God in the watches of the night. If you only praise God when things are going well, you fit in quite nicely with the pagans. If your faith is dependent upon things being easy, that is not faith. In the watches of the night when things are difficult, that's when you remember who God is. Maybe, again, you are right now literally up in the middle of the night as David was in the watches of the night. Maybe it's because of a newborn. Maybe it's because of heaviness in your heart or an endless list on your mind. Maybe your heart is broken over your child. Maybe your health needs constant attention. Maybe your soul is so burdened with guilt or doubt that you have no ease of conscience. And so you are up in the watches of the night. In David's night watches, he describes a situation as one where he should be sleeping. He is upon his bed, we find in verse 6, but instead of rest, he is restless in those watches. His life has affected him so deeply. His circumstances seem so impossible they have intruded into his mind, and so now sleep evades him. They make him jolt awake with that anxious thought. You know what I'm talking about. And he cannot sleep. His soul is troubled. His life is threatened. But what does he do? As his heart and his mind are under attack from anxious thoughts and circumstances, 
He meets those anxious thoughts with powerful, true thoughts. He meets them with remembrance of God and of God's promises. He remembers God and he meditates on God, specifically on the help that God has given him. He reflects back at God's faithfulness, which will never end. And in the memory of God's help, David finds reason to sing for joy, not because he just remembers who God was, but he remembers who God is. God is his defense, and he shelters David under the shadow of his wings. David has chosen in this, although the circumstances don't match it, he has chosen to engage his heart and his mind with the things of God, to recall consciously God and his wonderful deeds and his promises. And he meditates, as David had written in Psalm 1, he meditates on his law day and night like the wise man who is like a tree planted by streams of water. That is spiritual life in the wilderness. That is a stream in the wilderness. That is our source of life that is better than life itself. And David chooses to remember who his God is, what he has done, and what his promises are, rather than to let himself be drowned by the hardship in front of him. And I am not at all trying to say that your hardships and our hardships that we face are little or that they should be easy. Quite the opposite. Your wilderness right now is difficult. And I don't understand the depth of it, nor does any other human around you. But Christian, it is not a lonely wilderness. Trusting God in it does not require you to pretend like it's not hard. Instead, trusting God acknowledges that even though things are heavy, as heavy as they've ever been, the load is more than you can bear. And you are getting legitimately worn down more quickly than you'd like to admit. In this wilderness, your strength will fail. But even in these trials, it's not a lonely trial. You have a helper. You have a helper in this wilderness. In it, right here, you can find a shadow of protection. And in that, you can sing for joy. And in verse 8, David clings to the one who upholds him. You remember how David's soul was... Thirsty in verse 1, and then um, after he had beheld God's magnificent salvation, he was satisfied in verse 5. Here in verse 8, his soul doesn't just go to Costco and fill up and leave. He goes to the source and clings. God is his permanent companion and his help. Lastly, Let's be Christians who rejoice in God at all times. And this comes from verses 9 and 10 and 11. You know, David recalls here in verses 9, 10 and 11, a a scene of, of vengeance. It's not his, it's God's. It's justice being administered where the enemy will pay for the sins that they have done. And that gives us all future hope. We can look forward to the end and know that God is going to administer justice against all wickedness. Justice is in his hands and we will rejoice in his victory over his enemies. David cries out that God would be his defense according to God's own character. And the tricks that David's enemies tried to pull against him, he knows God is going to pull against the enemies. They'll be turned back right on them. The disgrace that they've tried to attack David with, they will receive. And there's another vivid description here as David's writing these songs. He's he's including these images, a jackal. 
You can imagine a, a small four-legged creature creeping around ruins. That's where they were known to inhabit. It was ruins, toppled walls and columns and remnants, places of destruction. That's where jackals were. And David says, you know, my enemies that are threatening me right now, they're going to be food for those animals that wander destruction. My enemies won't even have the honor of a burial. It's, it would be like us saying our enemies are going to be like roadkill circled by the vultures. You know, your enemies will not win. When you look at it from an eternal perspective, let this give you comfort in the middle of it. This disease of sin and death and the sin of humankind that caused it, even if they win temporarily, they will be destroyed. The devil has tried to bring you down to conquer your soul, but he cannot. He shall be the one to go down into the depths, as David says in verse 9. He will be thrown into the lake of fire. The smoke of his torment will go up forever. And so we respond in praise. We exult in our God and we proclaim his praise with our tongues. And this is something that we can do today because we actually rejoice in his victory, not just in the future. We rejoice in his victory today as well. Have you ever thought about the truth of praise? What is praise? It is ascribing to God, remembering the truths of who God is. It's ascribing to him glory for his excellencies and his power and his holiness. Is there anything more true than the holiness of God, than the justice of God, than the salvation of God, than the majesty of God, than the steadfast love of God? Of God. There's nothing more true than this. And so we as believers, when we praise, we are stating truths that cannot be overturned. Liars will speak all kinds of things about their gods, and they will speak all kinds of false things about our God. But when we praise God according to his character and what is due to him, that is praise, that is truth of the highest caliber. Liars will be stopped because they've not acknowledged the truth of God and they've not offered him praise. And if we do not praise, if we do not sit back and in awe of who our God is, we must ask ourselves, have you known your praiseworthy God? Can you see his steadfast love and his power and glory in the middle of the wilderness? Because if you cannot praise today in the middle of the wilderness... You will not praise on the last day. But if you praise him today, even in the wilderness of pain and tears and sorrow, then you will join in the eternal chorus in heaven where there is no more pain or tears or sorrow. And we will sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. And your hope will prevail in God. David says, I will bless you as long as I live. That starts now and it goes into eternity. And we praise God for how he has conquered our enemy in Jesus as he rose from the dead. And we praise God for that final victory that we look forward to on that last day. And we have access to that victory today. Have you called upon Jesus? Have you looked upon him in faith even when things are hard? Do you have help in this wilderness or are you doing it by yourself? Jesus calls you. 
to turn from your sin and to believe in him. The gospel offers life to the dead. Sinners receive forgiveness in this gospel and hopeless people can find hope in Jesus. Take hold of him. Put your trust in him. And once you have done that, let's do what David does every day. Let's remember who God is. Let's meditate on who God is. And let's go to the sanctuary to behold his power and glory. Let's go to the place where his word is read, where we get to feast on Jesus, where our thirsts and our hungers are satisfied. Jesus says, come, find water for your thirst. He calls the weak and the weary. He is gentle and lowly. He says, come and eat abundant food for your soul. He's promised that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled in him. And here we find the shadow of his wings for you. Here we find our defense built upon the foundation of his steadfast love. And it is better than life. Better is one day in his courts than a thousand elsewhere. This hour is better than all of life. Not because it's church, but because God is here. And his steadfast love is better than life. So our lips will praise him. Let's pray. Oh, holy God. You and your sovereignty and in your control have worked things for our good and for your glory. And we praise you for that. We look upon the salvation that you give us in Jesus Christ. And we ask that again today we would confess our sins, repent of our sins, and renew our faith in Jesus. In him would we find our thirst satisfied, our hunger satisfied. And would we find abundance and abundant life And would we sing your praise now and forever. We thank you for this place where you meet us. Would we not neglect the beauty of coming and seeing your power and glory? Would you be with us as we endure the wilderness again this week? Would we remember who you are in it? That you never change. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.